don't try to take notes. Uh, go back and listen to it on YouTube later on and uh, take some notes. Uh, Matthew, did we get up and running? All right, we're streaming live now. We were having some internet problems, but it is up and live if you want to uh, tell people that we're streaming live at Grace Life WV on Facebook. They can join that. So would you welcome Dr. Lynn Howes as he comes to share with us this evening? Hallelujah. I think with most of us, it is a journey through grace. Amen. And uh, the, the whole thing is a journey. You know, I was thinking about the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They came out, uh, you know, with about three million of them. And what would happen is the people at the front of the line are experiencing something totally different than the people at the back of the line. And so, you know, always, that always encouraged me because if you, you know, I even try to not fight stuff that might be beyond me or even behind me because, I mean, all of us were somewhere in our journey, but we got here. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? We have known them for a little while, and uh, it's been a good journey. We've almost, uh, uh, almost 10 years now. So it's amazing to me where all the information that we share starts to get. I, I was sharing with Pastor a little bit before the service. We uh, went through some stuff uh, when, I, when I, it was in my 40th year, 40th year of full-time traveling ministry. I'm in my 43rd year now. This is our 12th year of being on national television. That's just unbelievable to me. But anyway, we were just going through some stuff, being discouraged, thinking, Lord, are we, are we reaching anybody? Is, is anybody hearing? Are we plowing through a field and nothing's happening? And all of a sudden, man, it just began to, in my 40th year, the Lord said to me, I'm going to use you to bring the next generation. I'm going to, at least one of, I'm going to use you as one of those. I don't want to be this, sound like I'm exclusive here tonight, but I'm going to use you and others like you to bring this next generation into what it means to live in the fullness of the promised land. And so the Lord began to allow me to see some things that we were actually doing and uh, the people we were blessing because I tell a lot of times, you know, with our, even with TV, the people that hate you have a hair trigger on their writing finger. <laughs> they don't mind writing quick, but the people who love you don't tell you for a long time they're watching. And all of a sudden, people started coming out of the woodwork. And uh, so I said, I, I, I shared with the, one of the brothers tonight a few minutes ago, I said, I've been hated so long, it's almost difficult to be celebrated a little bit. I almost don't know what to do with that. So uh, it really is good when you're celebrated, you know, and you see lives transformed. To me, the reward is seeing lives transformed. And so, you know, I'm going to get into the Word here in just a few minutes, but let me just say also greetings to uh, Raymond Emsweiler and his wife, who we've not seen for many years, uh, but we knew them from Petersburg, uh, West Virginia, and they are here tonight. And actually, I guess you're the ones that had... Uh, told Pastor Joseph about us, and I think you all work together. Isn't it amazing how God just kind of intricately weaves people together? And then he just begins to bring us all into something where, you know, I, you know, I really think truth does not just speak to you from outside of you. It speaks to you from inside of you. And when you hear something that you know is truth, your head may say, no, no, no. But your heart's going, oh, yeah, that makes my baby leap. It's like Mary and Sally. Come on, somebody. And then you start thinking, but if I believe this, what are my friends going to think? Y'all follow me? Come on. I mean, I mean, we think through it. I, I said, I think when I was at Pastor Jeff's a few weeks ago doing the conference in Ravenswood, I said, I think I am a recovering Pharisee. Hallelujah. <laughs> I think we probably got a lot of them in the room, maybe. Hallelujah. I don't know. Hallelujah. Bill. And, uh, you know, I still find myself falling back to the default settings of that old way of thinking sometimes. I think, wait a minute, I don't believe that. That's not even scriptural. That's not even Bible no more. I mean, we believed a lot of stuff that was in the songbook, but it wasn't in the Bible. 
Hallelujah. I want to, I want to, I'm going to, uh, Pastor Jamie told me the, uh, when we were at uh, Ravenswood that uh, he was dealing with some stuff from Exodus, and that's kind of like been a theme that's been on my heart. I've been dealing with some stuff with the promised land, but I want to start out tonight simply by talking about a little bit about an Exodus paradigm. And, uh, the, all, you know, all the way through the scripture, it starts, at, I don't think we really realize sometimes how many times that Jesus quotes Old Testament scriptures. I don't think we realize how many times the apostles and prophets were preaching from Old Testament scriptures that were pointing to Christ. How many know they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? So they preached Christ from the law and the prophets. So everywhere in this book, somebody asked me one time, how did you get some of this revelation? I said, I don't know what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is him. Because he's the key of everything. And when you look in the volume of the book, it's written about him. And I mean, I could start with Genesis 1 and just give a brushstroke all the way through the scriptures and show you all kinds of snapshots and pictures of the redemptive work of Christ. But I want to take a text tonight from John chapter 6. But before I go to John chapter 6, I want to read one verse from John chapter number 20. And... Uh, John chapter 20, really, uh, verse number 31, he really tells you the reason he wrote the book of John. And, uh, you know, I'm taking it, this is one of the texts, this is one of the chapters in my latest book, The Great I Am. I don't have any books with me because I just came from the lake. I went a-fishing. <laughs> and I drove from North Carolina this morning. I was with my brothers and my brother-in-laws in this kind of an annual event with us and just value those times with your family. And so, uh, you know, I didn't bring any material with me, so I'm sorry about that if you came looking, thinking I had some stuff with me, but I don't. But you can still get it online or at our website or any of that. Hallelujah. Not going to talk about that. John chapter 20, verse number 31 said, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the, of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The purpose of this book is that he said, he's, he's telling you, this is the end of John. He's telling you as he's closing that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ. And in the book that I wrote called The Great I Am, what I do is I take the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. And every time he says, I am, he always says it in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. Come on, somebody, help me just a little bit. In other words, you thought Moses was the light, but that's not the light. I'm the light. Come on, you thought those corrupt shepherds of Israel were the shepherds, but they're not the shepherds. I'm the good shepherd of the sheep. You thought the door into the sheepfold was through performance Christianity and old covenant thinking, but that's not the door. I am the door. Come on. You thought the way was through religion, but that's not the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. So he, I, I'm not going to preach all seven of them tonight except to show you he's making that contrast of every time he's saying something, he's saying, uh, I am this, and everything he does, the more I study the stuff, the more I realize there is not a miracle that he does by chance that is just a random act, but it has a powerful message even behind it. 
Everything he does. I was thinking, some, a pastor asked me a question. You know, I, I told my wife last Sunday because it was Easter. I didn't preach any place last Sunday because no pastor wants to give up their pulpit on Easter Sunday morning. But I said to my wife, I'm preaching at 10 locations this morning. She said, how are you doing that? I said, because I've helped 10 pastors this morning with their messages, through their text messages. And I probably shouldn't say this just in case some of them are watching. Hallelujah. But one of them was asking me about the wedding at Cana. And I said, well, it's amazing to me that the first thing Moses did was he turned water into blood, and the first thing Jesus did was turn water into wine. I mean, we ought to start seeing there's a little shift going on here somewhere. And you start just seeing contrasts like that all the way through the scriptures. And when you start to see him, it starts to, to literally, uh, you know, show you that these, these, these acts that he did were not random. See, I want to almost go back and talk about the wedding at Cana, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay on task here tonight. But when I started to, to think about this whole Exodus paradigm, uh, you know, uh, uh, through the book of, uh, the, through the New Testament, how many know it begins with uh, G- John the Baptist in John, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit rattled because I've drove eight hours today. In Matthew 3, Jesus, or John the Baptist points up over the bank of the Jordan River. He said, right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I was a Hebrew or a Jewish boy standing on the bank of that, that would remind me of what I've been taught my whole life of something about a lamb. And it would have been like, clue, 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 there might be another exodus afoot here. He might be pointing to another exodus. And I'm going to chase this just a little bit, try not to, uh, to overdo it tonight. But, you know, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, there appears with him Moses and Elijah. And the Bible said that Moses and Elijah spoke to him concerning his decease. Now, that's not an accident, but the Greek word decease there is the Greek word exodus. So here's the leader of the first exodus, Moses. Come on, somebody. And he's talking to the leader of the real exodus, and he's saying, I brought them out of a physical bondage, but you're about to bring them out of a spiritual bondage. Come on, somebody. I brought them out of a physical slavery, but you're going to bring them out of a spiritual slavery. Because under the old covenant, we were slaves and servants, but in the new covenant, we're sons. And if we're sons, we're heirs of God. And so there's a massive paradigm shift from all of a sudden. And how many know it took them 40 years to lose a slave's mentality? So just, so just to give you a little bit of comfort tonight, if you just got a hold of the message of freedom, don't get too upset with yourself. It took them 40 years to come out. And I believe it's easier to get people delivered from drugs than it is to get them delivered from religion. Hallelujah, because I think I'm still in recovery. Hallelujah. We might need to start some religion rehabs, you know. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about living wild, but I'm talking about just concepts that we've had and stuff we preached, what even the Bible, that alienated a whole lot of people, walked away from God because of it. You know, I think they used to come to me and say, I can't live it. I do not come to your church, but I can't live it. I said, welcome to the club. Hallelujah. The, the rest of us can't either. They're trying to fake it, but come on. I mean, we needed, that's why we needed a Savior, and we needed a life. We needed some help. Come on, somebody. If the law of Moses, if the rules could have done it without a relationship, we wouldn't need another one to come. Hallelujah. But the truth of it is, is that when we begin to really realize what he was doing inside of us, that in the new covenant is full of supply, while the old covenant was full of demand. 
but it could never bring anything it couldn't ever bring anything to perfection so when i started on the mount of transfiguration moses and elijah appear and they appear to jesus and talk to him concerning his decease they talk to him about an exodus a coming out kind of thing now let me just say this to you this has been a key uh, scripture to me uh, recently, uh, over the last couple of years, because this really, really shifted some things in my thinking. Are we all right so far? I'm going to quote it for you. Revelation, the 11th chapter, verse 8 says this. It says, And their dead bodies are talking about the two witnesses, which I believe speak symbolically of Moses and Elijah. Again, it is a repeat of the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. I mean, they represent the law and the prophets. Let me come back here a minute to the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear. And, and, and Peter says, this has got to have something to do, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I know his Jewish mind would have said, this has got to have something to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. Because he says, let's build here three tabernacles. See, I said Feast of Tabernacles, and I'm assuming you understand that there was three feasts in Israel, Passover, Blood-bought salvation, come on. Pentecost, symbolic of Holy Ghost baptism, come on. But the third feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Pete says, hey, this has got to have something to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, let's build here. Let's make this Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus plus Moses. Let's build one for you, Jesus. We, we love this whole Jesus message, but we need to build one for Moses too because, by golly, we're not going to let go of these rules. I'm going to come over here because you all are going to help me over here. Hallelujah. Let's build one for Jesus, come on, and then let's build one for Moses. And, whoa, wait a minute, we want to leave Elijah out. We need one for Elijah too, come on. And, and Lord, help us because we don't want to quit singing that song, These Are the Days of Moses and These Are the Days of Elijah. And I, it's a cute song and I like the tune, but it's not true. These are not the days of Moses and they're not the days of Elijah. God rebuked that idea 2,000 years ago when Pete said, let's just build here three tabernacles. Let's build one for you, one for Moses, one for your life. And God interrupted this thing. He said, this is my son, hear him. Hallelujah. And literally, even who is on the mountain with him is symbolic because he has Peter, whose name means a rock. He has James, whose name means to replace or to supplant. And he has John, whose name means grace or love. So what he's doing on the mountain is replacing the, the stone of the law, come on somebody, with love and grace. And then he comes down the mountain, should have learned the lesson with these apostles who were with him. They come down the mountain and they're headed to a city. And he, Jesus sets his face as though he would go, I believe it was, to Jerusalem. And the people of a certain city did not receive him. And Peter still don't get the message yet. He has that default moment where he's still in recovery. He said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like Elijah did. Same chapter. And Jesus looks at him. He said, you don't know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. Now let me just say to you what he was saying. He was not rebuking Peter saying, you've got a demonic spirit. He said, you're operating in the spirit of Elijah. 
And John was the last one to operate in the spirit of Elijah because John was the last of the old covenant prophets. And he said, of those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But I say to you, he that's least in the kingdom is greater than John. Hallelujah. So anybody in this room who is a citizen of the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist or Elijah. But what I want you to see is he was shifting them from a judgmental. God is angry. He's going to kill everybody. See, I think we really need to have some real prophetic conferences where we start teaching prophets how to be new covenant prophets and prophesy from a mercy seat instead of from a judgment seat. And I know there's a whole lot of stuff coming. You know, I must be making a lot of waves because I got a text message last night or a couple days ago from a conference where they was really coming against some stuff I preach. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to make enemies. I, you, you all know how I preach. I don't, I'm not trying to fight, but I can tell you what, when people start getting free, Pharaoh don't want to let you go. Somebody got to make bricks for him. Come on, hallelujah. Uh, come on, somebody, hallelujah. And some folk don't want to get free. They're so used to living in bondage, they don't want to get free. We're like, leave us alone. We're just used to making bricks. Hallelujah. You know, hallelujah. Some folk don't feel like they've been to church unless they got a beating, man. It's like, boy, my picture beat up on me. Then, boy, you stepped on me. I was like, that's, a, that's an abused spouse syndrome. Run for your life. Get out of there. Hallelujah. I mean, why would you do that? wonder why nobody want to come on Sunday. That's why I, 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 hallelujah, I shouldn't even say this stuff, but the truth of it is that's why we got creasters. You say, what is a creaster? People who come at Christmas and Easter. And, and the two times they do come, we gang up on them and beat them up for the times they hadn't been here all year. Wonder why they don't come back to next year. They only came because mom wanted them to anyway. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. I know I'm doing all right up in here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what I'm simply saying is there's got to be a paradigm shift. And when, when, when they started to, to move away from that, see, then you come over to Revelation 11, and these two witnesses that are, to me, they had the power to shut up the heavens that it rained not during the days of their prophecy and smite the earth as often as they will with plagues. That is descriptive of Moses and Elijah. It is really talking about this old covenant paradigm. And, man, I'm a mess because I want to talk about Revelation if I start talking about it. Because really the whole book of Revelation is about this exodus I'm talking about. I'm about to write some more stuff on Revelation. I've just been letting it boil a little while. Hallelujah. And, and uh, so uh, if, have you ever noticed that the plagues that are in the book of Revelation are very similar to the ones in Exodus? It's God saying, it's time to come out again. But this is what I want you to see. I mean, even, even when, when you see all of those plagues, I, I listened to the whole book of Exodus driving up here today. So I'm, I'm a little bit of a mess. Hallelujah. And, I, and, and I'm looking at all this stuff in the book of Revelation, and I'm seeing these are the exact same things that God poured out on all the gods of Egypt was to get the people to come out of the bondage they were in and to come into, come on, their promised land. Isn't it amazing that they leave Egypt, they spend 40 years in a wilderness, and then they come to a city called Jericho, and when they march around, I'm getting ahead of myself, they march around the walls for seven times, seven priests blow seven trumpets, and the walls fall down, and they get their possession. In the book of Revelation, there are seven trumpets that sound, and as soon as seven trumpets sound, a city collapses, and a Babylon collapses, and another city arises. Hallelujah. And the people of God get their inheritance. Is anybody tracking with me here? Or am, I, am I losing you? Hallelujah. But what I, I don't want to get bogged down with it. But Revelation 11, verse 8 says this, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, 
which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, I've read that and taught the book of Revelation for years, but until a couple of years ago, it didn't dawn on me our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. I'll come over here a minute. Now, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. It said the city which was spiritually called <coughs> Sodom and Egypt. And for the first time, my mind shifted about what I thought Egypt was. Because what he said, called Egypt was the city where our Lord was crucified, which was Jerusalem. It was the centerpiece of old covenant Judaism. And it was the city that was about to collapse. Come on. After Jesus, the true Lamb of God was slain. And the blood was shed exactly 40 years later. That city fell. Come on. Hallelujah. And an old Jerusalem passed off of the scene. And I'm going to just say some stuff deep. And a new Jerusalem came on the scene. Because the new Jerusalem is not a place. It is a people. It is the bride, the lamb's wife, according to the book of Revelation. So what he's simply trying to show you is this whole Exodus paradigm all the way through this book. But what I began to see was that this Exodus was not just out of what we call. See, when I used to preach this, I would think, okay, you know, being brought out of Egypt by the blood of a lamb means I'm delivered from the world. Now, I, I get that too. Let me just say this too, because sometimes I preach so strong about freedom from religion that, that I forget that there are people that are getting free from other bondages as well. Anything you're a slave to. If you get enough lamb in your belly, come on, hallelujah, you're going to get up at midnight and put your shoes on your feet and you're going to say, I can't live in this bondage any longer. And that's what happens when you start feeding nothing but lamb. Nothing but mutton, I call it, hallelujah. You start feeding on lamb and folk are going to say, wait a minute, I wasn't born to be in this kind of bondage. I don't care if it's substance abuse, alcoholism, or religion. All of it is a slave master. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But when I began to see was that he's not only trying to deliver people that are out there in what we call the world, because you can, you know, I, I've said this all over the world, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, go into the details of it. But when I was growing up in classical Pentecost, everything you could think of was a sin. Here's the general rule: if it's fun, it's gonna take you to hell. Hallelujah. I can still see the old preacher say, I'm, you're going to bust hell wide open. You know, I can see myself taking the less tea plunge in the lake of fire for going to see a movie, you know. And that was, that was back when, you know, it was, uh, hallelujah. That was back whenever there's something decent on to watch for crying out loud. But, but we thought that meant we came, you know, we came out of the world. That was our bondage out of what we thought was Egypt. And yes, there was a lot of bondages that we came out of. But here's something the scripture says. Jesus was made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Not just sinners. He came to redeem them that were under this bondage. I am seeing this stuff more clearly than I've ever seen before. He came to redeem them that were under the law. He became everything that that first covenant required 
to redeem, come on, hallelujah, us from, let me say it like this. He took everything you had coming under the old covenant so you could get everything he has coming under the new covenant. Hallelujah. Man, that ought to make you shout if you don't remember nothing else. He took everything, every sin offering, every heave offering, every wave offering, every requirement of the law was fully met. Every jot, every tittle of the law was completely fulfilled. Hallelujah. He did not do away with it. He fulfilled it. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And he kept everything that that law required so that, hallelujah, he could come and say, I came to offer you a brand new covenant. Hallelujah. And the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. Here's something I teach in Bible school all the time. Rightly dividing the word of truth when Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. He's not just talking about knowing Greek and Hebrew and I'm all for any kind of education. He said you need to understand what is truth in relationship to the old covenant and what is true in relationship to the new covenant. And all of our fights right now in the American church and all over the world are a result of people either having a mixture of two covenants or being a new covenant come on, and a mixture of old or old covenant with just a little bit of mixture of new. It's Jesus plus something. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? But rightly divining the word of truth means you start to understand something drastically happened when the Lamb of Calvary was slain 2,000 years ago. And he put blood on the doorpost of the house. He came to deliver you not just from worldly sin, but he came to deliver you from the bondage of an old covenant paradigm that he might bring you into a relationship with him and his Father where he would not just give you a bunch of rules, but he would give you his Holy Spirit. I'm, I've said some of this before, but I feel like I need to repeat some of it tonight. When they came out of Egypt delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb exactly 50 days after Egypt, they've been blood bought in Egypt. They were water baptized at the Red Sea. When they come to the foot of Mount Sinai, it is exactly 50 days after the Passover. Exactly 50 days. The, when we come to Acts chapter 2, it says and when the day of Pentecost was come, the reason it means the word Pentecost is there, it means 50. Because it's 50, the word Pentecost means 50. Because it's 50 days after, come on, for folk who say, well, you know, uh, hallelujah. I mean, I could show you the whole redemptive story just in the Exodus. Because you're delivered by blood. How many glad for the blood of Jesus? We come out of Egypt, they built a great Baptist church. They're saved, not, not Baptist, Lutheran church. They're saved. <laughs> They're on their way to heaven. Yeah. You might all get this out of my hand because I feel dangerous tonight. Hallelujah. And here's our, our primary focus in the American church is we think the gospel's how I get from here to there. And the reality of it is God's trying to get what's happening there to operate here. And if we could just understand that when Jesus was teaching the kingdom and he would say the kingdom of God is like, he didn't use other world stuff. He used this world stuff. He wasn't talking about going there. He was talking about it coming here and God establishing his government and restoring back what it was before it got messed up because that's the plan of redemption. To redeem means to put it back like it was before it got messed up. The whole Bible's about salvation. Hallelujah. And to the Jewish mindset, it was a return from exile or out of slavery. And so they're they're delivered by blood. I got sidetracked there. They crossed the Red Sea and they became Baptist folk. 
because they've been blood-bought. Now, the Scripture says in the New Testament they were baptized into Moses into the sea. So they got a revelation of being blood-bought, and then they got, whoa, wait a minute. We need to be baptized. And then we're going to get on the bank of the Red Sea and fight over which way we should do it. <laughs> and we missed the whole point that the Egyptians you see today, <clears throat> you will see them again no more forever because the same water that saved you is the same water that destroyed your perpetual enemy forever. And made it real difficult to go back. Somebody said, do you think you'll get blacks out? I said, I think it's possible, but you have to swim back across. It took a miracle to get you out. God ain't going to open the sea to get you back. So every one of there's 42 stopping stations from Egypt to the promised land. And every one of them has a denomination built around the revelation of what that is. And then we come 50 days later, it's the Feast of Pentecost, and we're about to build, we're going to build us a Pentecostal church here. And we're going to put a sign out that says we're full gospel. And we're only two-thirds gospel at best because Pentecost is only the second feast. I'm stretching you tonight. And then you get in Pentecost and you start getting hungry, and you start thinking, there's got to be more, but I hate to tell anybody that I'm feeling this thing. Man, I'm a mess tonight. That I'm hungry for something more. Here's, I, I brought you to this story to show you this. When they got 50 days after they kept left Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, during the time that would be the Feast of Pentecost, and God came down on the mountain in a cloud. And when he came down on the mountain in a cloud, he gave them rules on rocks. He gave them... Ten Commandments. He gave them the law. Stay with me a minute. The rocks aren't even cold yet. And the people already broke them. 3,000 people dropped dead. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is the real lamp. Come on. We're baptized into Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, exactly 50 days after Jesus was crucified. They're in an upper room, but this time God don't give them rules on rocks. This time God gives them the Holy Ghost. And God gives them the Holy Ghost. Watch this. 3,000 exactly were added back to the church. Why is that? Under the let old covenant, the letter kills. In the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are, you, are you with me? And so, and, and, and hallelujah, there's so much I can say about that because the reality of it is, is even when they, until they came to the foot of Mount Sinai, the people operated on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, which required only faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. And God brought the people out on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant. And I started to really look into some of this stuff recently, but I, I saw in Galatians where he says that the law was added because of a transgression until, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and that seed was Christ. So the until has already arrived. But I started looking back, and I started to realize, wait a minute, God did not want to give these people this kind of a covenant. He wanted to keep them in the Abrahamic covenant, 
but they failed to believe him. I, I, I got a weekend, so I'll, I'll touch some of the details. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5 is the backstory of why God gave them this covenant. Because when God brought them out, his intention was, and I, just, I read all through Exodus today, I'm going to make a whole nation of priests out of them. Everybody from the least to the greatest are going to have access to me. After all this time, I'm going to be to them a God. They're going to be to me a people. We're going to love each other, and we're just we're going to. And God comes down on the mountain, and the people said, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him. And whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, it will be our righteousness. Wrong answer. And now they have forfeited, I think, what was called a grant covenant for a kinship covenant, which is a two-sided covenant. With the Abrahamic covenant, it works like this. In blessing, I'm going to bless you. In multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make your seed like the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens. It was God giving something as a promise to a man, hallelujah, without any contingency except that this man believed God. Come on, hallelujah. And God counted it to him for righteousness. But when the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system, God said, all right, if you don't want a relationship, you've got to have rules. Because if you don't have a relationship, you need a lot of rules. And the less relationship you have, the more rules you need to have. So you see the Mosaic Covenant, even through numbers, move beyond 10 to 600 and some. Oh, y'all don't want to help me preach. Because these people don't have a relationship. And God is longing for something more than just rule keepers and people who are doing the right stuff because if they don't, they're going to die. He's looking for a relationship with people who do something because they're in love with him and because their heart has been transformed, because their hearts have been changed. See, law can change behavior, but grace will truly change the heart. I've been preaching this way too long to know. Now, I will tell you this, grace will reveal what's in your heart. Not so you can act on it, but so that, come on, hallelujah, so that it can be revealed, so that you can come boldly to a throne of grace and be touched with a high priest who's been touched with every feeling of every infirmity you've ever had and able to secure you in the time of temptation. But the moment they forfeited that relationship, I believe that was part of the transgression that he said the law was added because of that transgression. And Deuteronomy 5 said, I heard you in your tents. And because you said in your tents, uh, we're afraid of him. And then the book of Hebrews gets a hold of that. And it says this, it says, so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you have not come. He says, come on, you did not come to the mountain that can't be touched. You did not come to the mountain that burned with fire. He's talking about Sinai. You did not come to the mountain that says, if you touch the edge of this mountain, you will be thrust through with the dart. If so much as a beast touch it, it'll be stoned to death. Don't break through and come near the glory. Come on, somebody. That's what the law said is stoned. Stay away. Get a distance. Uh, don't touch this. Come on, somebody. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, but you did not come to that mountain. But that's the mountain we bring people to every Sunday morning. Is we bring them to a mountain that says, God's about to get you. God's about to kill you. You're about to be thrust. I grew up my whole life thinking, when is the thunder going to get me? When is the lightning going to peel? Come on. When's God going to strike me dead? I can remember that kind of stuff, man. They preaching that kind of stuff. You think you're going to die and go to hell? Oh, over a Coca-Cola, because we preached against that too. (laughs) 
and lived in fear. And I'm thinking, you know, if the gospel, if all we have, I'm being really bold here tonight. If all we have, if the best we have is come to Jesus or destruction is going to hit you. Or he's going to torch you. You know, we fire up a torch. And I'm like, is Jesus that ugly? That that's the best we have to offer people? It's either this or that. It's like, okay. It's <laughs> are, you, are, is, is, are you hear what I'm saying? I mean, how'd you like to be married to somebody? Where the option was either getting married or I'm going to torture you. So this is your only option here, dude. And then you got to go to church and put your... <laughs> <laughs> then you got to put your precious Jesus face on and go to church. Like, I'm really happy. Don't we love Jesus? <laughs> Ain't God good? He good? You know. But we don't preach him good. I think we marred his visage so bad that when people see him, there's no beauty that they would desire him. But when you really see what he's about and you cut beyond all of this old covenant thinking, and you start seeing his heart, that everything he was doing was redemptive. And it was to bring about his purpose in the earth. And you start to really see his heart. You start to really fall in love with him. And then you start to do what you do, not because you have to, but because your heart has been so touched that you think, man, I just want to please him. Come on, I mean, come on, we could talk about human relationships and say, listen, man, there is something more powerful than law. That's love. See, it might start with fear. The fear may be the beginning of something. But when you get to the new covenant, perfect love casts out fear. And if you are not serving, come on, because you've come to a place or been perfected in love, you're still somewhere on your journey to unload the baggage of what you think is a, a spouse who's going to abuse you the first time you get out of line it's just too much I don't know I'm the, hallelujah and I'm not getting to my text here but uh, what I'm, I'm trying to, to communicate is I believe when you start to preach Jesus in a way that makes him so desirable people start to respond more they start to come See, it's almost like, you know, it's like almost like holidays. When, when your families come, and the first thing you do is the whole time they're there, you're trying to straighten them out and tell them everything they're doing wrong. You ain't going to see them. You ain't going to see them again to the next holiday. But, that, see, that's what we've done with churches. We've made this. This is my shot. And folk already know they're messed up. And if they don't know they're messed up, the Holy Spirit can deal with them. Because what we're trying to do is, is let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does and quit trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. Because I really trust the Holy Spirit. And the reason, I, I said this in a lot of conferences with leaders, I said the reason preachers won't preach this is because they don't really think the Holy Ghost can do what the Holy Ghost says he can do. But if in the Old Testament, God gave the law 50 days after Passover and he gave the law and it was rules on rocks and behavior stuff, and then the New Covenant, he didn't give them rules, but he gave them the Holy Ghost. Then that says to me that the Holy Spirit is to the New Covenant what the law was to the Old Covenant. And if the Holy Spirit can't make you behave, all the church sheriffs you want to hire aren't going to get the job done. Because those who are led by the, not rules, the Spirit, they're the sons of God. 
I'm probably not going to get to John 6. I don't know. <laughs> Those that are led by the Spirit, the contrast there is, what was governing you before? Yeah. And you know what it did to me? It thrust me into a position of saying, Lord, I need to fine-tune to be able to hear your voice. And you know what I found? I heard his voice from the first time I got saved, and everybody kept telling me, that ain't him. Be careful, you're getting deceived. And I went back and found that was the voice I should have been listening to because I would sit in church and hear some of the stuff that I'm talking about now. You know, I'm talking about the legalism, and there's something in my mind says, I don't know what, what's right, but I know this isn't. Am I talking to anybody? I, 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 don't, know, I don't know the answers to all of it, but, but, but my spirit is not witnessing to that. But when you hear the truth, it starts to make you free. And then, you know, even as I, I, I started to look at some of the stuff, even as Paul would say in Romans 8, they that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. And then you start to see uh, him saying, you know, that I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And started realizing the suffering that he was undergoing wasn't like he lost his job last week. The people down the road are talking about me. One of my three Lexuses isn't running right. I'm really suffering for Jesus. Y'all don't help me preach. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I know there's some stuff people go through. What he's talking about was the suffering he was experiencing was because he was preaching a message that was diametrically opposed to the religious culture of his day. And he said, but what I realize is I'm preaching and suffering because the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed. Because the whole creation was groaning and travailing in birth pains, waiting to be delivered. Watch this, but to be brought into the glorious liber liberty of the sons of God. So his message was to bring people into liberty. And you look at the persecution Paul went through. It wasn't so much the Romans as it was the rulers of the synagogue. Well, you're trying to tell these people they don't need to be circumcised. You're trying to tell these people, come on, that they could eat meat offered out. You're trying to tell these people, and they get accused of all kinds of stuff. He's like, we're telling them to learn how to be governed by the Holy Spirit. We're trying to tell them we have a better covenant. We have a better priest. We have a better tabernacle. We have a better promised land. There's better blood. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There's a better city. There's better faith. Everything about it in the book of Hebrews is something better, better, and more excellent. And they're willing to forfeit it for something less. Let me go to John 6 and try to just at least hit a few things here, and then we'll see where we're at. John 6, let me uh, take the text here in John 6. Bring that up if you want to. I'm, I'm going to read from New King James. I want you to see this and. And then we'll pick up as the week goes on. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those that were diseased. See, a sign always tells you something about something. So everything he did was some kind of a sign. See, I could chase all these rabbits, but I won't. And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the feast of Passover, now, now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Everybody say Passover. Passover. 
Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming to him, toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, let me just set this up a little bit. Remember John 20. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life through his name. So now all of a sudden I start seeing this set up and they just crossed the sea. Everybody say sea. They, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They just left the feast of Passover. Say Passover. They just crossed the sea of Tiberias. I've seen this movie before. You're still not tracking with me. In Exodus... They had the feast of Passover, and they crossed the sea, and the people are hungry. And Jesus says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. That's because this ain't the first time he's ever fed a multitude in the wilderness. Y'all track with me here a little bit. It's going to get good here in a little bit. Hallelujah. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I could stop and preach on this because I think the key to this next move of God is really the next generation. I think there's some young people that's got some stuff locked up in them who are carrying some stuff that we don't know they're carrying. Hallelujah. There's some young lads whose mama packed them a lunch. Hallelujah. Somebody been listening somewhere and you didn't think they were listening. They may look different, act different, and do it different, but they're going to carry something. Come on. Hallelujah. That's going to... Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to them sitting down, and likewise also the fish as much as they wanted. Now let me come back again. So now they've crawled, they've, they came to the feast of Passover. They crossed the sea. We got a multitude in the wilderness, and they're hungry. And Jesus says, you feed him because he knew what he would do because this is not the first time he's ever fed a multitude in the wilderness. And then he says, have them set down on the grass. Now, I love this because if you read this same story in Mark's version, he says, tell them to sit down in the green grass. Everything means something to me. Say, what you trying to tell us, Brother House? I'm trying to tell you that green is a symbol, number one, of life, but it's a symbol of the new covenant. Say, so how do you know that? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I said, the Lord is my pastor. I need some help in here. I shall not want. Come on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What's he going to do there? He's going to restore my soul. He's going to lead me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And he's going to prepare a table before me right in the presence of his enemies. I could jump ahead and tell you the night before he's crucified, he creates a Passover meal because this is the last lamb they'll ever have to kill. Tomorrow, when the lamb is killed, the exodus is underway. Hallelujah. We're about to come out. Hallelujah. We're about to come out of the bondage and the curse we've been under for years. We're about to get delivered up in here. Hallelujah. And so he says, make them sit down on the green grass. I could also take you to the book of Revelation. 
salvation. And I could tell you that when the door was opened in heaven, there was a rainbow around about the throne. Now, how many know a rainbow is a symbol of a covenant? I'm probably throwing too much at you here. But how do you know that? Because I read about Noah. God puts a bow in the cloud and says, this is a token of the covenant. So when you see this token, you know that I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I'm going to make you understand that that's a covenant. And so then he says, I saw a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And an emerald is green. Because the only place you can make people sit down and rest is when they get an understanding of the new covenant and the finished work. It will restore their soul and bring them into rest. They will sit down. Hallelujah. And then Jesus begins to take the bread. He begins to bless the bread. He begins to multiply it. So he, give, he gives, uh, he, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, the disciples to those sitting down. Likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that there remain nothing, that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets. Everybody say 12 baskets. 12. Touch your neighbor and say, that's important. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which are left over. Let me give you a little hint. The 12 baskets is because there's 12 apostles. And 12 apostles were going to be the ones to carry the message of the new covenant, hallelujah, into the next generation. They're going to take it to the other side. They're going to take it. They're going to get in a ship, and they're going to go to the other side. The other side is the new covenant side. They were about to become pastor of basket case. And it was an Easter basket. Therefore, they gathered 12 baskets. Then those men, when they saw, when they had seen the sign that Jesus, well, I went back one chapter. Hold on. I should be watching the ones up there. Therefore, when, the, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now let me just work this a minute. He says to them, now listen, he just finished performing this miracle. He gives them 12 baskets full that are left over. And tells them, get in a boat and go to the other side. And the moment they started to go to the other side, the wind got contrary. I hope I'm talking to somebody. I'm glad the room's full of preachers tonight a little bit because I want to talk to preachers a little bit. I mean, anytime you decide you're going to preach a message that's different than the old covenant, you're going to get some contrary wind. The wind is going to blow in an opposite direction, and people are going to think you've lost your mind. I tell them, right, I tell them now, if, if I'm crazy, let me alone because I'm finally happy. I, I got joy. Come on, I got peace. I'm enjoying my journey. I'm in love with Jesus. I drove down the road today listening to the scriptures with a sneaking grin on my face like this is too good to be true. I probably looked like I was leaning back. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
enjoying the journey. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Man, I wish I'd have got this when I was young. I'd have enjoyed the journey the whole time. Hallelujah. And, and the reality of it is that he tells them, go to the other side. Can I tell you, I could stop here and tell you, there's all kinds of pictures of what they did in a ship. How many know, come on, how many of you got a ship? No, you don't. You got a fellowship, though. That's what I'm talking about. How many of you got a fellowship? And you get your fellowship and you start taking it and you're turning it towards the new covenant. You're going to get some contrary wind. And you're going to have times where you're going to see Jesus come walking in the middle of that ship while that wind is blowing. You think he abandoned ship, but he's going to show up at your ship. And sometimes you're not even going to know if it's God. i got to tell you, I have literally, as I've pioneered through some of this stuff, I said, Lord, you got to let me know if this is you or not because I don't know if I'm going to let it in my ship until I really know it's you. How many know sometimes we're afraid of some stuff because it's different? And they beckoned Jesus to come in, and immediately they were on the other side. I could tell you there was another time when they got in the ship, uh, and they started to the other side. And Peter said, Lord, uh, bid me to come if it's you. Sometimes you got to get out of it. I said, sometimes you got to get out of your ship. Even your fellowship. Hallelujah. Sometimes you won't have to get out of your fellowship. They will kick you out of it. Hallelujah. They will, you, you'll be Jonah. They'll throw you overboard and say, I hope he's the one. Hallelujah. Sometimes you get on a ship headed to where you think is Rome. Glory be to God. Uh, and the ship might fall apart. I've been around some places where, come on, uh, everything was built on such a shaky, wrong foundation of an old covenant paradigm that the ship was about to break apart. Uh, but I got news for you. Just grab what floats. Uh, grab what holds water and swim to the other side. When you get to the other side, uh, a snake bit the apostle Paul. And when, he, uh, when the snake bit him, they said, this man's demonic. God's out to get him. It's the judgment of God. Uh, God is mad at these dudes. He's about to kill all these grace preachers. And then when you shake the snake off and it don't bother you, they think you're a God then. Hallelujah. But Paul was on the road to Rome. Hallelujah. And God said, you're going to preach the gospel at Rome also, Paul. So Paul said, this ship can't go down because this ain't Rome. Hallelujah. He was in a jail cell, locked up, and they're talking about cutting his head off. There was pots to take his life. Men standing outside taking oaths saying, we won't eat until we have killed this man. But I can see Paul and Silas in a jail cell singing jailhouse rock. Not upset, not unnerved, not shook up. Come on, hallelujah. And Paul looked at Silas and Silas said, how come you got a song in your heart? He said, baby, this ain't Rome. And God said, I'm going to go to Rome. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go to Rome. I got to preach at Rome too. Hallelujah. I got to tell you, I've walked through some stuff where I had to remind myself of the promise of God and prophetic words over my life. Man, I heard Andrew Womack talking the other day about when he raised his son from the dead and he got the call that his son had been killed in a car accident. And he said, man, when he got, he said, you know, they, they had pronounced him dead. He was in the morgue, been dead for five hours. And he said, but on the way up there, he said, I can't tell you I didn't go through a lot of the same emotions anybody would ever go through if you just got a letter, news like that. He said, but all of a sudden, I begin to remember prophetic words that was given over this kid's life that wasn't fulfilled. And he said, God, this guy, God, you ain't done with this guy. He said, they pulled him out of that morgue table and raised him from the dead. God raised that boy from the dead because he remembered some promises God had made to us. I got to tell you, sometimes it's hard to fight the fight of faith, but that's why you got to take the word of the Lord that's over your life and use it sometimes to fight the fight of faith because if it wasn't a fight, you wouldn't call it a fight of faith. Hallelujah. 
Sometimes Jesus is asleep in the ship. And you got to wake him up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes you got to go shake him. And here's the deal with that. They're in the middle of that storm. And Jesus is asleep. He's, he's the head pastor. He's up there sleeping. We're out here trying to hold this boat together. What's this up? What's up with that? You know. So they go get Jesus up. It's like, here's the deal. If Jesus ain't shook up, don't you get shook up. If he's resting, you rest. You hear where I'm coming from? But sometimes, come on, how I many you got to stir up some stuff until you see the presence of God begin to manifest in some situations? Sometimes you'll take your ship and go fishing. And you'll fish on one side all night, and you won't catch any fish because you're fishing on the old covenant side. And you need to find a Jesus who's on the bank with bread and fish already on the fire. He don't have a boat or a fishing pole. <laughs> I think he probably remembered that little deal when the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. I think Jesus, after his resurrection, took a rock and said, devil, you see that? Bread. Hallelujah. Because if you ask for bread, he won't give you a stone. He won't give you law and legalism. He'll give you the true bread. I got I to gotta finish this. So all, all through the, all kinds of pictures, but when you cast your net on the other side, it's because the fish ain't biting anymore on that old covenant side. We listen. I really believe that we are right now in a in a real reformation. I know a lot of people are calling it revival, and I don't have a struggle with people calling it whatever you want to call it because I I, I, don't, I don't get hung up on on titles and stuff. But God's moving. Let Him move. I I had a friend in Hawaii that had raised twenty two people from the dead. Some guy came down there and told him you're doing it wrong. Told him, told him he was doing it wrong because he was doing it from the posture of deliverance. You know, this guy thought he really had some revelation about finished work and all this stuff, and the devil defeated all this. And, and so, so this pastor says to me, well, Dr. House, he said, what do, you, what do you think about how I do it? I said, that little girl you raised from the dead that was dead for five hours, she, she don't care what I think about it. If it works, keep on doing it. Sometimes we're, we're just we're Pharisees of everything you can imagine. We, we pick over every song. If it don't have every word in it, just like we believe, we're like, wow, they don't get the revelation. Listen, they know stuff you don't know, and I know stuff you don't. So let's just keep on. I, I, I never forget one of my friends said one time, said, God spoke to him, said, I want you to go fellowship with these people. And his pastor said, Lord, I can't fellowship with those people. They don't believe like I do. He said, the Lord spoke to me, said, I don't believe like you do either, but I fellowship with you. <laughs> I mean, we all got some. I'm, I'm still learning. I am forever a student and open, man. And even I don't dismiss when I hear stuff. I, I, I look it over, study it, man, see if I can. It, where are they coming from? Sometimes if you go to the source, there's truth there, but the trickle-down effects of the people carrying it around got it all messed up. Hallelujah. But Jesus... Then comes to the other side. Let me just, he said, do not be, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him. How many of you will say that tonight? I just willingly want to receive him into this boat tonight. And they, and, and, and they were immediately at land. And then on the following day when the people were standing on the other side of the sea and saw that there was no other boat there except the one that which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread before after that the Lord had given thanks. 
And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, and said, and answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Touch your neighbor and say, here's, the, here's your sign. So he was giving them signs all along. I mean, we just saw a major sign. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, all you was after was the immediate miracle. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. This is the only work of the new covenant. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he sent. Hallelujah. Is believing. Therefore they said to him, watch this. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not, did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then, said they, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Now, I want you to just, again, try, I'm going to try to close here because I, there's some more down in here, but I think we'll just uh, leave it be. But it's so, it's, it's so paralleled to the Exodus journey. They even get down here and talk about how they murmured against Jesus in the midst of this whole miracle. They're murmuring. And the whole thing he warns them about in Exodus, don't murmur. They murmured and, and, and snakes came among them. But let me just set it up and then try to close with this. They leave the Feast of Passover. They cross the Sea of Tiberias. He feeds a multitude in the wilderness. It's an absolute repeat of the Moses miracle. Leaving Egypt, coming into the promised land. Leave Egypt, cross the Red Sea in the wilderness. God gives them bread from heaven. Here comes Jesus on the scene, and the greater than Moses is here. They leave the feast of Passover, cross the Sea of Tiberias. He feeds the multitude in the wilderness. And when he gets done, when he gets done feeding the multitude in the wilderness, they said, what sign do you show us? I, I think Jesus probably went, Here's your sign. I mean, literally, just reproduced. Just literally showed up and says, that's not the bread. I'm the bread. Hallelujah. Actually, he was, in fact, the hidden manna. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was laid up forever, that never rotted, never spoiled. Hallelujah. It's inside of a mercy seat today. He's the true bread. And he says, if you'll eat my flesh. And then he starts to preach the covenant meal as he gets on down in here and loses most of the crowd. Because when he gets finished, he said, he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. See, if you don't understand the storyline, you're going to think he's talking to... Probably they left because he's talking about being a cannibal. Yeah. Right. 
But if you understand Passover, you're going to know he's talking about eat the flesh, come on, and drink the wine of the covenant cup. And so what he's showing them is I'm trying with everything that's in me to show you there is an exodus, but this time the exodus is out of that old covenant because you thought that was the bread. That's not the bread. I'm the bread. Hallelujah. You thought that was the door. That's not the door. I'm the door. Come on. Hallelujah. You thought Moses was the light, but that's not the light. I'm the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Moses turned uh, the water into blood, but Jesus turned, come on, the water into wine. Hallelujah. In other words, all the stuff begins to shift to a whole different deal. Hallelujah. Where he starts to reveal the heart of the Father, and what the Father is really about to bring redemption. I think that's some good stuff. Here's the tragedy. Come on, stand on your feet all over this building. You've been gracious tonight. I preached plenty long enough. But here's the tragedy is we're 2,000 years into the new covenant, and I still got to fight with people over what covenant we're under. Or if you preach anything that diametrically looks like it, and then and people won't hold still long enough to hear what all you're saying. They think you're trying to get people to sin and everything else. I'm like, you know, they just like you're going to give people a license to sin. I'm saying they're sinning without a license before I came on the scene. I'm trying to give them something that will change their heart where they won't want to sin. I don't want to just stop sinning. I want to lose the desire for it. I'm not trying to point them away from a, a, a godly lifestyle. I'm trying to tell them what will produce it. It's the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost working in you. If the Holy Ghost can't produce a holy life, are y'all hearing where I'm coming from? And i got to tell you, man, the more I've allowed the Holy Spirit to really work in my life, you get this yes, yes button or this no, no button. Come on, you, you can hear something inside of you. Hallelujah. And, and really what the Holy Spirit does is not just, he, he doesn't just tell you how bad you are. He starts telling you, you're a son. You're the righteousness of God. You're a new creature in Christ. And the more you tell them that, they look at you like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath of? Well, the rock that's higher than I. That's the one I came up from underneath of. And hallelujah. And then, but after a while, see, when you keep on preaching like that, people become what I call believers. And then they start to act like they're righteous because they believe they're righteous. They start to act like sons because they are sons. Can I tell you, there's a lot of old covenant prophecy going on around right now. I, I'm not even, I'm not, you know, if you watch my stuff, you see I never fight. I, I, if that, you watch me on Facebook, I never engage in a battle unless there's spoil. There has to be a lot of spoil for me to engage. But the reality of it is I, you could fight all kinds of stuff you want to fight. So I'm not, I'm not out here talking about fighting, but I do think one of our biggest problems right now, the earth is in the condition it's in because we've been training people to evacuate rather than occupy. That we've been training people, come on, to go to heaven, and we're no threat to the kingdom of darkness as long as we're on our way to heaven, and we're waiting on the mothership to come get us and get us out of this mess. And I'm going to tell you something. You can sit around and preach that all you want to, and I'd rather be guilty of standing before God one day saying, listen, I'm training people to change the world we live in because if that mothership don't come, we're in a whole lot of trouble, and the next generation is going to be really messed up. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And you can do whatever you want to with that eschatologically. I'm just simply saying when you start to focus on on, on escaping rather than doing what our assignment is in the earth. Hallelujah. To release the glory of the Lord. To be a kingdom of priests. 
And what's amazing is God offered that to Israel in the beginning and they forfeited it. But Peter came back in the new covenant. He said, but you're a chosen generation and you're a royal priesthood. And God is calling all of us, not just preachers, but everybody that's a believer into a priestly ministry because we are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I came to consecrate you tonight. Hallelujah. And consecration doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It means to fill the hands, uh, to put something in their hands. And what I'm putting in your hands is bread and wine. That's all Melchizedek served was bread and wine. It's the covenant meal. He says, come on, keep on eating. Come on, keep on feeding. Keep on eating more lamb. Keep on coming to the table. Because Jesus keeps on saying, come and dine. You all trying to get out of here to go eat? He's been inviting you to eat. Somebody said, we're going to go to the marriage supper of the lamb. I said, you know what's for supper? He said, what? I said, lamb. That's what's for supper. Tonight, hallelujah, and you can eat it right now. It's the covenant meal, hallelujah. And when you start to serve that, people start to come alive. I was just with my brother who literally pastors our town, and he's, he, he, he runs a thing called Life or Drugs and, and a thing called Team Hope where he deals with not only addicts but he deals with the kids of the addicts or kids of people in prison. And our whole city is really responding to him. And, and I said, dude, you, you, you're the boots on the ground, man. You're, 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 the, you're, you're, you're doing something to change our world. And see, you know what? We can do that. I'm trying to quit here tonight. But we can do that not just from a pulpit or for the TV camera, but we can do that across our tables as we start to minister and share bread and wine with our families. And our, You know what I found out is my kids started coming around. You know, of course, my, my, Jason was just saying the other day, my youngest son, who's 30-some years old, he said, I've never... Never sat in a church that wasn't New Covenant. I've always, he said, matter of fact, I, I was shocked a few times when I went to places to visit with my dad. Thought that at first they were joking. He's like, you mean this really happens out here? I said, yes, son, you don't realize what you were. You were never born in Egypt. The whips and chains of Egypt. You don't remember none of the whips or chains of the flesh pots of the slave masters of Egypt. They were born in Zion, Brother Raymond. Hallelujah. And what drives me is letting uh, the next generation that what I'm building is not uh, trying to build a big ministry. Because if I wanted to get popular, I could get popular. But I'd rather preach something that's pioneering a message that's really changing the future for my kids and my grandkids. And can I tell you that I think if the church would really preach the gospel and we would engage the way we're supposed to, instead of calling down fire from heaven, we came to seek and to save what was lost. Our world would change. If 12 men with 12 baskets full, Jesus reminds them later in the midst of all that storm, what he says to them, do you not remember the miracle of the loaves and the fishes? He's asking them specifically. And they said, how many did you take up? They said, 12. I think Jesus probably said, it's one for each of you. And if you couldn't at least do anything else, you could at least remember the last miracle you saw me do. Because sometimes we forget that. Because it gets sometimes when the wind's blowing and it gets scary and you think, what am I going to do? I, listen, I, I deal with pastors all the time, multitudes of them. I just met with a, the bishop of a major denomination. I won't say for the sake of this video, but major denomination, two major denominations. Said to me, all of our educated guys from the masters all up through the doctorate all believe what you're teaching. And the pastor sitting there beside him said, why don't we preach it then? He said, because the church wasn't built on that. It was split the church right down the middle. And so this pastor looks at him and says, you want us to lie to the people then? Wow. 
See, somewhere, somebody's got to get the guts to preach it. When I was 16 and started preaching all those years ago, man, I thought, man, I was like plowing, plowing through rock fields, man. Now it's springing up everywhere. I mean, literally all over the world, there's response to not just what I'm preaching, but others, but we've affected a lot of people. And I tell you, I, I, I walk in even that with just real godly fear and reverence and thinking. Sometimes when I know when I'm sitting in my TV studio and that television camera comes on, 140 million homes are potentially could be tuning in. And I sit there and pray, God, if I'm not right, show me because I don't want to lead anybody astray with anything else. You, 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 and I, I read my hate mail for that reason because if, I'm, if they can straighten me out, I want to be straightened out, you know. You hear where I'm coming from? Because I'm really passionate about seeing people not only hold on and make it to heaven someday, but to enjoy. Because here's, here's the point Jesus said, so that you might have life. And, and I didn't talk about that tonight because it's another whole sermon. Labor not for the meat that perishes. The stuff is fleeting. i got to tell you, man. Stuff is fleeting. The stuff that people pursue is fleeting. Even you, you, you take, you know, I was, like I said, I was with my brothers. I had, my youngest brother was there as well this week. And about two years ago, probably less than two years ago, he was diagnosed with two, different, two three different kinds of cancer. They didn't give him much hope. Cancer-free today. He said, when you get to the edge of that, you start finding out what's really valuable. His family was healed. A whole lot of stuff happened in their family. You start saying, wait a minute. Maybe we're looking at stuff we think in the midst of COVID. COVID was a blessing in some ways. Come on. It made families sit down at the table and quit running everywhere. Come on, just running until we, we are, you know, nobody knows anymore. Nobody sits down at the table and talks. Nobody. But you changed the world from your dinner table. That's how my daddy did it. You say you can't do it? I'm telling you, with, with seven kids, we, we, I learned how to preach and prophesy at home devotions in our house. I know I preached too long, but, but from what he poured into us and my mom and dad poured in, they touched a lot of people, but their kids are touching the world. I'm telling you, literally, I'm not, I'm not saying that blowing smoke. I'm just saying we're literally touching the world. And, 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 and if, if you one family, that poor, broke, I mean, to tell you, man, we were some, some wild kids. I'm telling you, just turn loose on that hill, and we gather us back up in the wintertime. Hallelujah. But we fell in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. And I look at all the other stuff, and you know, I've stood on some big platforms and all that kind of stuff, and all that stuff it can be moments where you can enjoy that type of thing. But when it's all done, when it's all done, it's all, and all the politics that's with it and then all the stuff that goes with it, it's kind of like, this is really not what floats my boat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd rather just pour something into somebody that I think really is hungry than I would to hoop and holler for an hour and a half because the money's good. So I'll choose a small group a lot of times over a big one because I know I can't preach my heart there. And you all know that's true. Hallelujah. Because that's what changes the world. I have walked in many places that were huge and said to my son who was with me, we might be here for two or three people. This room's full. But we might be here for two or three people. And you impact that dude and boom. You never know who he's going to impact and who he's going to impact and who he's going to impact. And so even those, I look back at all of those Wednesday nights 
being faithful when it was handfuls of people showing up, sleeping under a bench as a little kid, thinking, what are we doing here? But all of a sudden, years later, you realize that's all part of the training. Come on, lift your hands all over this room. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.